So um, we're not going to stop worshiping right now. We're just going to keep doing that, but we get this awesome privilege of uh, hearing from him in his word. And uh, so why don't you guys find your seats, and uh, why don't you get your Bibles out, and uh, let's go uh, to the book of Mark, if you will. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 11, and uh, we want to hear from God this morning, and I am so glad that we get this book. That's a sweet thing we get to do is just open this together uh, with people that have been convinced of the same thing, that Jesus is worthy of this, and we want to submit to him. So Mark chapter 11, and if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around, just grab their attention. We want you to have a copy of this. If you don't own a Bible, please just take that one with you, all right? Uh, That's a gift from us to you. Uh, We love studying this book together. Um, You can follow along with us also on the Bible app if you want, but we are in Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11 this morning, and um, just want you to know, uh, this is probably something that's not new to you, but things are not always what they seem. You know that? Sometimes something can uh, look good on the outside, but turn out to be a uh, major disappointment. Uh, This week, uh, my wife and I, she's not the disappointment, we were on our way, Uh, I, I went up to Massachusetts, and um, and I was getting them so glad that Carissa and the kids are back. I miss them. They were up in uh, Massachusetts visiting her family for the week. And I went up to pick them up and bring them back. And we heard that the Mayflower 2 uh, was on display in, let me see if I get this right. It's the Mystic Seaport, right? The Mystic Seaport in Connecticut. We were like, oh, well, that's on the way. Like, it's, it's, it's like an hour away from where her parents are at. So we decided, like, we'll just pull off the highway. It's right there. We can stop and, and see it. It'll be really cool. So we get off of the highway on the way home. And, uh, and, and as we're driving in, we're getting closer to the water. We see ship masts in the distance. We're like, oh, this is a good sign. Like, this is going to be a lot of fun. We won't stay long, but we'll just get out. We'll go take a family pic. The kids will like it. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. So we park. And, uh, and we start walking in that direction only to find that there's no possible way for you to get down to the docks and to get down to where these ships are at unless you go through this museum and pay the uh, museum tour price which was like about 30 bucks an adult and almost $20 a kid. And, and, and I'm not very good at math, but you do them. I was like, oh, that's just way too much money. Like, that's not what we were expecting, all right? Not what we were looking for. You ever been disappointed by something that just didn't turn out the way it seemed it was going to? Maybe you, your um, kids told you that they cleaned their room. This has happened. Only to discover later that, uh, you know, all their uh, toys and socks and juice boxes and french fries and stuff are like shoved underneath the bed, right? This is happening. Maybe you bought something on Amazon and, and by the time it shows up, it's totally not what you were looking for. And, and you, I guess you should have read the description a little bit better because, uh, you know, it, 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 the picture didn't, didn't look like what it looks like in the picture. It looked a lot bigger, looked a lot cooler. Or, or maybe you got one of those um, healthy protein bars. You ever tried one of those things? They, they, they like advertise like, this is going to taste great. It's got peanut butter. It's covered in chocolate. It's, it's going to be amazing. You bite into it. You're like, oh, like should have known. It's not awesome on the inside like it looked on the outside. Well, here's the deal. Uh, the title of this morning is this, uh, Where's the Worship? We are a church that worships Jesus. I hope that that's evident. I hope that that's, you know, like that's what we're aiming for, but I want that to be true. The problem is things, things aren't always as they seem. 
So are, are we really a church that is truly worshiping Jesus? Mark chapter 11, um, Jesus is coming to uh, Jerusalem. And in fact, he's actually coming to the temple. This is kind of the center of worship in Israel. And for Jesus to be showing up like this is kind of like if, if your boss or, or a, uh, a district manager or your uh, CEO is showing up to do some inspection, all right, going to check and see how things are going. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, about to walk into the very place that's designed to worship him. And what's he going to find when he gets there? Is it genuine? Is it really happening? Well, I'll tell you, uh, what he's looking for is the same that he wants to see in us and in our church, in a church that really is worshiping his name. So here's the big idea if you're taking notes. Here it is. Note this. Here's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for true worship that bears fruit. Can I show that to you? Mark chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anybody says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, why are you, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many uh, spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem And went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Father, I'm praying that as we um, listen to your word, that we would be submissive to this. And and God, I'm praying that your spirit would be present here. um, That that you would be working in my heart, in our hearts. That, Lord, we want to be a church that worships you. And we want that to be genuine. We want it to be true worship. Not just something that looks good on the outside or at first glance, but is real. And Lord, I'm praying uh, that that's going to start in our hearts, that, that, that you really would have no rival in our lives, and that we would exalt you as our king. And so Lord, I'm praying that as we uh, open up this book, uh, may you uh, be gracious to us uh, to show us areas that need to change, and I'm just thankful that um, uh, you're so patient with us when we do see things that are not in line with that, if, if there is something there that we've been uh, letting rival you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, make us more like yourself and, and, and beckon us to repent and turn to you and recognize that only you are worthy of our worship. So I'm praying that you would do that even now as we read your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let me give you uh, two evidences of true worship, all right? This is what Jesus is looking for. If you're taking notes, here's one note this. True worship celebrates the Savior, okay? 
Uh, I think that should be pretty obvious. We are in this triumphal entry. In fact, I want to, uh, I kind of want to just highlight for you uh, the, the setting just a little bit. Verse 1 says they're drawing near to uh, Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Now, you have to remember that we've been on a journey, right? We've been journeying. In fact, I've got the map out um, because I love uh, using my laser pointer. So here is the, the, this is the journey that we've been on since Mark chapter 8. Jesus has been on his way up from the Sea of Galilee this area where he did primarily has been doing most of his ministry. Now he's been traveling down. It is likely he took this route and he crossed last week. We saw he was in Jericho healing the blind man Bartimaeus. Now we're on our way to Jerusalem, and right outside you can see is Bethpage and Bethany. In fact, I've got another picture. This this might help you just understand we're coming uh, from the east, all right? This is the city of Jerusalem. Here is the temple, and you can see the Mount of Olives right here. This is where Jesus is at where Bethany and Bethpage is in between. Uh, just so you know, this is the, the Kidron Valley. It's not very far, and, and the Mount of Olives is, is really less than a mile away. Not very far, but he's coming in from the east side. The reason I'm telling you is this because I want you to be able to kind of picture what's going on. In fact, do you want to see some Israel pics? Would that be helpful? Uh, let's do that. Um, here's, here's me standing on the Mount of Olives looking at the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and obviously, this is not exactly the way it looked when Jesus was coming down. But this is the point. As he's entering in, finally, we're getting to the city of Jerusalem. And he is looking down. You can tell, not far away, less than a mile away from the Mount of Olives to the city of Jerusalem. You can see the Temple Mount right here. All right? In fact, let me, let me show you a picture. I'm going to stand right here now. This is standing on the Temple Mount looking at the Mount of Olives. That is where Jesus is standing in this text in verse 1. Okay? Now, let, let's go back to this. Uh, I, w- I want to show this to you because uh, as Jesus is coming, um, you, you have to remember, why, why is he coming to Jerusalem? Why, why, is, why is he coming here? It's because he knows what the mission of the Messiah is. And I don't know if you can see this, but uh, right back here, there's like two um, uh, domes in the back. That is the site of his crucifixion and his resurrection. You see, Jesus knows exactly why he's coming. But as he enters in uh, to the city, we don't know exactly which gate he walked in, uh, but we do know, verse 11 says, he walked into the temple. Well, you see these stairs right here. Um, in fact, I've got a picture of, of these. These are the very stairs that Jesus walked up as he was entering into this. I show you that because I just want you to be able to see. Like this is. In fact, I've got I, I've got this little guy down here. This is this is my little plush toy. Like we called him Judah Maccabee, and I took him around and was taking pictures all over the place because I want my kids to be able to see this. And I want you to be able to experience it. No, this happened. This is real history. This is where Jesus is walking this morning as he's entering into the city of Jerusalem. This is a really big moment. He's finally at the city gates. This is why he came. And, and, and when a king would, um, in, in ancient times, would enter a city, it was kind of normal for them to ride in with great pomp and fanfare, kind of like a parade, right? Roll out the red carpet, bust out the banners and streamers and, and, and music and, and get 
a motorcade. Why? Because it would demonstrate their military might and their, and their power. It was a way for them to kind of celebrate their victories in battle. They're showing off. And so think about what Jesus is doing. We see him here in the early uh, verses here in 11. He's actually orchestrating these events because Jesus is going to be uh, really purposeful about the way that he enters into Jerusalem and what it communicates. And it's actually kind of a, a, a shocking entrance. He's not going to walk anymore. He's a king. Kings don't walk. Kings ride. But he kind of breaks the script of what we might expect because he sends his disciples to go out and get him. Not, not like a, a, a chariot, not, not, a, not a war horse, not some impressive animal that when he sits on it, he's going to tower over everybody as he rides into the city. But he sends them out just to get a, a colt. Just a little donkey. Because uh, he's not trying to match the world's expectations for a king. But to show us that our expectations are way off. In fact, and we saw this last week at the end of chapter 10, um, he was just challenging us in, in chapter 10, verse 42. He said, hey guys, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the way the world works. And so we should expect that someone who's in charge would come in and show off their power and, and, and demand respect and start ordering the servants around. But that's, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says. Instead, we saw verse 45, and this is the heart of the book of Mark. you got to get this. You have to know this. Chapter 10, verse 45, this is it. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus knew exactly why he came. He came as a servant ready to die on a cross for us. He knew what was waiting for him here. And, and, and there is coming a day when Jesus will ride in on a white horse for battle to execute his judgment in wrath. But, but, but in this moment, in Mark chapter 11, he's just fulfilling the, the prophecies of the Messiah to come. In fact, I want to show you one. Here's, here's what he's fulfilling. In the book of Zechariah, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, uh, this is the moment that he is fulfilling as he enters into the city of Jerusalem. Here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Guys, today is a cause for celebration. Why? Why? What, what, what are we getting excited about? Here it is. Behold, your king is coming to you. Yes! Like, we've been waiting for the king. And, and this king is righteous. He's, man, we needed a good king. We need a righteous king. And he has salvation. Like, finally, this is a king that can set us free. And he's humble. Wait, what? He's mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did not see that coming, right? Think about what that must have communicated to these people. That they probably they know how this is supposed to work. They know what a parade is supposed to look like. What a victorious, powerful king coming into the city is supposed to look like. And Tim Keller has said that in this moment, Jesus brought together both majesty and meekness. There's no other king like ours. And so these disciples, they... Uh, 
They go get this little donkey, and then verse 7 says they throw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. They're trying to show him honor, and, and he's just like embracing uh, this opportunity to demonstrate the kind of king that he is. And, and verse 8 says that, that many of them, many, and we don't know how many, but it um, actually kind of seems like it's not too large of a crowd because it doesn't appear to attract the attention of the Romans. And then um, we also notice that it actually kind of dies out uh, pretty quickly afterwards. But here's a number of people that are following, and they are ready to celebrate. And, and so these people that show up as Jesus is riding into the city, I want you to just picture that. He's riding down the hill, about to enter into the city, and it says that they, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I just got to, like, when I read that, I'm like, why would you do that? Okay, why are you going to take your coat and throw it out there for the donkey to trample on when there's a perfectly good road? Seems like a lot of laundry for a waste. But what, 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 what are they doing? It's a demonstration of their submission to Jesus. They're just acknowledging, like, you're the king. Yeah, we're we're going to lay it out for you. We want to welcome you. It says that others spread leafy branches. Uh, John, in his account in chapter 12, tells us those were branches of palm trees, which means that might have been uh, maybe a sign of victory or a sign of a kind of a national symbol for Israel. And so it's just a way for them to just join in the festivities and they're hailing him as the Messiah of Israel. This is the one we've been looking for and the people in the front and the people in the back are all shouting out. And what are they shouting? What's this word they're shouting out? Hosanna! You know what that means? You know what that means? Anybody know what that means? Like, some of them may not have known what that means either. Because the, the word could basically just mean, please save us. Which seems like a really appropriate thing for sinners to be saying, right? Here comes the king, and they're saying, please save us. You're the Messiah. Problem is, sometimes you can say the right words with your mouth, uh, but totally miss what they mean. And so I would call this an unwitting welcome. Because while their words are spot on, they don't really appreciate uh, what they're actually saying. They say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Look, they've been looking forward to this Messiah who is going to come and reign as the king and kind of take them back to the good old glory days like when David was the king in Israel. We want that kind of king. And so they've been looking for someone who has the strength to come back and beat these Romans back and conquer their oppressors and set them free. So that's what they're feeling in this moment. They're just caught up in the euphoria and the excitement. They're like, save us! But here's the deal. Jesus is not entering Jerusalem to conquer the Romans with a sword to set the Jews free. He is coming to conquer sin and death with a cross to set all men free who will believe in him. Man, let's get excited about the right things. Like, why are you coming? Why, 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 why would we approach uh, God's word and, and, and gather together? Why would we do this on a Sunday morning? Why? Because we want to lift high the name of Jesus. Why? Because he's our Savior. And sometimes um, we are in danger of treating Jesus like a means to an end instead of seeing him as the end in itself. That the highlight is God's glory. That's the main event here on Sunday mornings when we gather together. But sometimes I get more excited about what he can do for me 
as opposed to just who he is, right? You, you feel this? Sometimes we come with this, this expectation, and the thing that's going to get me excited is, is how he, you know, he could fix my marriage or give me a better job or make me happier or in, in, improve my circumstances. You ever been focused on those things? And it's not wrong for us. In fact, we should. We should be praying and asking God for those things. We should praise Him when He graciously blesses us beyond what we deserve. But get this, true worship starts by celebrating that Jesus has saved us from our sins and the wrath of God that we do deserve. That's where true worship starts. And man, who wants to be guilty of just kind of going through the motions and mouthing these words of praise on a screen but not really exalting Jesus because you're really just thinking about yourself? I don't want that. In fact, I'm so thankful for our worship team and, and, and Phil. He's, he's doing an incredible job. Of, and and, and I, I hope you know how much work goes into um, crafting our worship service so that we're singing the right things. I don't know if you notice this, but we don't have a whole lot of me songs. Now, it's appropriate for us to do that. It's appropriate for us to, I, I sing because of what you've done for me. But there's way too much songs out there that are, I am this and I am that and Jesus has said this about me and I am this and me, me, me and I need and not what we need. Not what we need at all. And so we want to spend some time like engaging our brains with the words that we're actually saying and think about what he's done for you, not so that you dwell on you and your sin, but so that you can appreciate how awesome he is, right? That, that, that we would lift him up, that we would magnet, that the magnitude of his grace and his greatness would sink into my heart and just well up inside of me so that I want to celebrate my Savior and what he's accomplished for me on the cross. Can I just ask you, what, what, what needs to change in your heart, in your life, so that when you come in here and when you are lifting high the name of Jesus, it's genuine. That what you're saying is coming from a heart that really loves him. See, the problem is these, these people that are following Jesus really didn't come to worship, and I know that because look at what happens, verse 11. Look, just notice this, okay? He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Now just stop and think about that for just a moment. The Son of God just walked into the very place designed for his people to worship him. And what happens? What happens? Answer? Nothing. The text says that he uh, looked around at everything, and as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Man, you want to talk about an anticlimactic letdown. We've been building to this moment for a while. How, many, how much excitement there is, and then nothing happened. I mean, you would assume that somebody would bust out a guitar or something, or like, you know, start singing acapella, pick out one of the old Michael W. Smith songs that everybody knows, or, or like gather people to pray, or go slaughter a bull, do a sacrifice. I don't know, do something. The Son of God is here. He's right here. This is the center of Jewish religious life. This is the place of worship. But things aren't always the way they seem, are they? It's pretty obvious this temple's got some problems. 
Let's keep reading uh, because Jesus is going to deal with this now. Uh, Verse 12, then on the following day when they came from Bethany, okay, remember he's out on the Mount of Olives. Now he's kind of coming back and forth in between the city. That's where his hotel was. Uh, He's hungry, and verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes were super excited about that and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Let me give you the second evidence then. Here it is. Uh, True worship points others to the Savior. You see that? Uh, So when he comes to the temple in verse 11, the first time, when he's in the temple and it says that he looked around at everything, you got to know, he's not sightseeing, okay? He's not taking selfies with the sheep and going to the, hit the gift shop and get his temple t-shirt. When it says that he's looking around at everything, he's surveying. He's assessing the situation. He's kind of taking it all in because he's about to condemn it. And on the way back into the city the next day, now it's day two, uh, he saw, verse 13, he saw this fig tree in leaf. Now, uh, when you see leaves on a fig tree, it's safe to assume that there's going to be something there to eat. And I know Mark tells us it's not the season for figs, but the point is this. It looked like it on the outside, but it wasn't actually bearing fruit. And so Jesus curses it. He says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. I could just like imagine this, but like the, tip, the disciples kind of like tiptoeing away, like, man, he is not happy. Like, don't ask him any questions this morning. And then the next day when they show up again on, on day three, they, they, they see this thing, and it says that it's withered away to its roots. Peter's like, whoa, geez, I mean, you really took that thing out. I mean, I wish I could do that, right? You ever had one of those days where you wish that you could just go around cursing everything in sight? That'd be super convenient. Like if something gets in your way, you're just like, zap, gone, done. That'd be cool. Why, why, why is Jesus doing this? What's going on here? I mean, it doesn't seem very green of him. It kind of looks like he's just hangry and he, uh, you know, he kind of gets just ticked off. He didn't sleep very well. and He's just going to take all his anger out on this poor little tree. It's not a very, uh, I mean, Jesus, come on, Really? You're just having a bad day? Well, remember, we've, we've, we've seen this over and over in, in the book of Mark. Uh, he uses this technique in storytelling. Uh, we call it the story sandwich. Remember that? 
where, where Mark will start a story, and then he interrupts that story, and then he comes back up to finish it up later, kind of making a sandwich. And the story in the middle helps you make sense and understand the whole. Thing is, if, if, if you didn't know that, then you might just assume that Jesus is just kind of getting impatient and pitching a fit. But the minute that we see that Mark is doing this on purpose, then the fig tree, which looks okay on the outside, um, but fails to bear fruit, is really a picture of the temple that's failing to fulfill its purpose. In fact, um, my Bible heading right before uh, verse 15 says that, that uh, Jesus cleanses the temple. You see that? Some, your, your Bible probably says something like that. Well, it's really more like, instead of just cleansing, he's really more like condemning it. When he walks into this place, it is a zoo, okay? Uh, people everywhere, and, and, and some of these people have kind of figured out that they can turn this temple worship into kind of a lucrative business here. And, and so there's all these, uh, it's just like mobbed with these people, bustling with travelers and pilgrims who have come to give their offerings and make sacrifices. And so some of the locals have kind of set up shop here to make it a convenience store, essentially. Like we've got ATMs, we've got live bait for the daily sacrifices, we're just trying to make it easy on you guys. And Jesus goes off. And, and the disciples, like these poor disciples, remember the disciples, Jesus just told them three times the plan when we get to Jerusalem, what's going to happen? When we show up, the religious leaders are going to kill me. And so when they see Jesus flipping over tables and running out the local business owners, they're like, well, that's going to help the situation, right? Like now you, now you do, we might as well just turn ourselves in now. But why is Jesus mad? The, the, the reason that Jesus goes off is not just because they've made it all about money although that's part of it. The point is this. This is not what the temple is for. And all of these religious leaders should have known better. They should have known that this is not what it was designed for. What was it designed for? Look at verse 17. Here it is. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the who? All the nations. So yes, this is a Jewish temple, um, and, and yes, like primarily this is so that the Jews can worship their God. But listen, listen, God always intended for Israel to be a blessing to the nations. It was always his plan to extend his salvation and make disciples of all nations. Any Gentiles in here kind of excited about that? Okay, like, think, think, let, me, let me show this to you, okay? Let me, let me put this picture of the temple because here's what's happening. When, when they would gather to worship, there were places. Um, this is the temple right here, okay? And, and that's Jews only. Gentiles can't get in there. In fact, they've got a space for the Gentiles. This right here is the court of the Gentiles. Here's the line. You can't go past that if you're a non-Jew. This is the place where the Gentiles can come in, but that is the very place where all of this buying and selling is happening. It's the only place where outsiders can come and see and witness the worship of Yahweh. But as uh, J.D. Greer has said it this way, uh, they had transformed the only open access point for the Gentiles into a catalog of comforts and conveniences for the already saved. 
This is the place where they could come and see worship of God, and instead it's so filled up that it just keeps out the sinners from being able to come in and see and worship Him. In fact, some of these Jews might have been thinking that the Messiah was going to come into the temple eventually and he was going to get rid of the Gentiles. But instead, Jesus comes in and clears it out for them. Salvation is for everyone. And if Jesus got that mad at them for pushing out the Gentiles, do you not think that he hates it when, when, when we get so busy in our little church world that we ignore the lost and the dying world around us and even make it difficult for them to come and to hear and clearly see the gospel? Man, I, 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 we don't want to be a church that's just for church people. Listen, it's primarily when we gather together, we are coming together to worship Jesus because we love him, all right? And we come together to encourage one another, and we get on our knees together to pray and spend time with God. And what happens is special because we share this love for Christ, but we want others to come and hear and experience the glory of God too. This should be a place then where we welcome anyone to come and to hear God's word, right? This should be a place where we're purposefully pursuing the kind of diversity that God intended for his kingdom. Like, I never want to intentionally or unintentionally communicate to anyone that you have to uh, be a certain kind of person to be accepted here. You don't have to have the same skin color. You don't have to vote a particular platform. You don't have to maintain a higher social status. This is a place where people from any nation or any walk of life can come and find the presence of God and experience his love. Is that true of us? And... Are you conscious of the ways that your actions and your attitudes towards people actually impact that? You think about that? I know we're coming to get together with our brothers and sisters, and we love that, and we want to worship Jesus because we love him. But man, somebody might show up that doesn't, doesn't know. And would we be purposeful about welcoming them well, we got a welcome team, so they, they'll do that, right? They'll, they'll, they'll handle all of that for us so that I don't have to talk to those. No, we're all on welcome team here. Would you be willing to go and talk to someone on a Sunday morning? Like, I get it's not your thing. Some of you it is. I know, I know that some of you are super uncomfortable with that, but are you willing to help somebody understand? Like, we don't, we don't want you to feel left out. Glad you're here. You may not understand all of this, but we're going to help you. We're going to think through what it means when they walk through the doors and when they're sitting here in the kind of language, because sometimes we talk this like churchy's language, right? Like, let me help you with what that means. Let me open up God's Word and just kind of help explain it a little bit to you. The kind of place that's going to be welcoming and inviting. Are we inviting people? Come join our small groups. 
Are we embracing the small group community that you have? Even if I know they may not be the first people that you'd invite to a barbecue, but this is family. We love one another. And we would love for people to come and experience and see the kind of love that we have for one another. Because what we have here is because of Christ. The church can't fail to point sinners to the Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul actually tells us that we are growing, he says, into a holy temple in the Lord. That we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Think about that for a minute. What he's saying is that the church is now the temple where God's Spirit dwells. And think about how strategic that is. Because the church uh, does not, it's not bound to one geographical location. It's not a building. That's why we say every Sunday, go be the church. Because the church is comprised and made up of disciples who are willing to go and go even around the world and let others see the difference that Jesus has made in my life and point them to the Savior to make disciples of all nations. True worship points others to the Savior. We've been saying this a lot around here. We're going to keep hitting it, that our vertical worship propels the horizontal advancement of the mission. And so when Jesus then is hanging with his disciples and they see this withered fig tree, when he cursed that fig tree, essentially what he's trying to say is, hey, guys, you see that fig tree? He's pointing their attention to the temple, saying, that's not it. That's not what I'm looking for. What's he looking for? And Dr. Danny Aiken said it this way. Mark concludes the fig tree temple story with uh, these lessons on faith, prayer, and forgiveness, the very things that the people should have found through the temple. He's not looking uh, for, for uh, empty religion that looks busy, people that are just kind of going through the motions. Not what he's looking for. Here's what he's looking for, verse 22. Have faith in God. That's what I'm kind of looking for. I want this real faith and believers that have such a faith and they believe so much in me that they would pray in that faith. They would pray with this expectation and who are ready to extend the same forgiveness that they've received in Christ. See, true worship bears fruit. So, man, I just want us to point other people to him. Does it, can I ask you, does it bother you when we're not seeing more people come to Christ? Does that bother you? It bothers me. Sometimes it bothers me how much it doesn't bother me. Man, we got to get after this church if we want Jesus to look and see true, genuine worship happening at harvest. It's going to be because we're celebrating the Savior, pointing others to him, And if we're struggling to believe that he could do that, he says pray, pray with faith and extend the same kind of forgiveness that you've received in Christ. Father, I pray that you would make us a church that is more like yourself. Thank you for bringing us here. Uh, Thank you that you've given us a purpose and a a reason for being right here in Northern Virginia. And and we want to be responsible with that. We want to be faithful to the calling that you've placed on our lives Lord, I'm praying that when we gather together, something sweet happens. 
it's never just another Sunday at Harvest. When we gather together, we want to lift high the name of Jesus, but we want our worship to be white hot, and we want it to be real. We want it to be genuine. We want people that are celebrating what you have accomplished for us on the cross. That is the reason that your son has been given a name that is above every name. And so we want to be people that submit and can cry out, Hosanna, save us, God. You're the one who can. You are the God who saves. And we're so convinced of that that we want others. It doesn't matter where they're from, uh, what kind of stage of life they're in, uh, what kind of background they have, um, uh, what country they're from, what language they speak, what food they eat. It doesn't matter. God, we want them to come to Christ. We want them to know that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus. So I'm praying that you would stir our hearts to the mission and let vertical worship propel the horizontal advancement of the gospel. God, use us, change us to be more like yourself, and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.